0: Hello and welcome to this Focus episode of How We're Wired. My name is Eva Higginbotham. I have a PhD in neuroscience and I'm the producer of this series for the Bertarelli Foundation. These Focus episodes are a chance for us to dig into more fascinating stories of our brains, how they work and how scientists are studying them. In episode 11, we looked at the neuroscience of sight. From how our brains interpret visual information to the scientists making strides in gene therapy as a treatment for blindness. We also heard about how incredibly visual humans are. Now, as a podcast producer, audio will always have my heart. But as a scientist, I can admit that we evolved high-definition eyesight for good reason. And one of those reasons is so we can recognise friend from foe quickly and accurately. Particularly as we're such a social species. Being able to tell who is in our gang and who isn't is super important. And while some animals do this by smell, we do it by sight. So, how do we do that?
1: It's actually quite complex.
0: That's Josh Davis. He's a Professor of Applied Psychology at the University of Greenwich in London and an expert in how we recognise faces. Just
1: like any stimulus, the cognitive system looks at an object and what it does is it it seems to extract the features of the face in a first phase. In the second phase, it sort of blends those features together into a, a sort of configuration. And then in the final phase, it processes the whole face as a construct, as a, as a holistic construct is one way of thinking about it. So, yeah, a three stage process.
0: And is there any specific part of the brain that's involved in that? Because obviously we need to use our eyes in order to do the original recognition. But as we learned in our last episode, information from the eyes travels down the optic nerve to the visual cortex.
1: Yes, well there's an area called the fusiform gyrus that seems to be very important in the processing of faces. We know this because if we put people through brain scanners we tend to see a a spike of activity in that area of the brain when they are looking at faces and even we see a spike when they are looking at familiar faces. So we can differentiate perhaps between where somebody actually does know a face and doesn't know a face from that extra spike that pops up.
0: And are we all equally good at recognising faces?
1: No, no. I think we're now very aware that there's a very large spectrum of ability. So from the very low end of the ability. People have something called prosopagnosia, which is sometimes called face blindness, which is not really a a good title because they're not blind to faces, but they are unable to extract identity information from faces. So, you know, they could look at a photograph of a child or their husband or wife or whatever and not recognize that photo if they're not wearing sort of familiar clothes because they can draw on cues from visual stimuli. So, you know, if someone's wearing their favourite clothes in in the photo, they're going to recognise that person. But if they're wearing something completely different, they might not recognise them at all. There are two types. Uh, One is acquired from brain damage. The other type is from birth, basically. Some people have developmental prosopagnosia, and it runs in families, so there does seem to be some sort of uh, heritability, something genetics going on.
0: So, in people who don't manage to recognise faces, do you see differences in activation in their brains?
1: Um, yes, yes. So, what you tend to find is that I talked about the fusiform gyrus earlier. When you do brain activity studies with people with typical abilities, you see a spike of activity around that area. When sometimes, when you test some prosopagnosic people that spike does not show itself so again that seems to suggest that perhaps that part of the brain has been damaged by whatever caused the the prosopagnosia in the first place Uh, especially perhaps with people with the acquired type
0: and the fact that they can sort of if you're wearing the same jumper they can tell oh that must be you it makes me think that The features are still being digested, but it's the holistic stage of the putting together of the face that's the problem there.
1: Yes, this definitely seems to be the issue that, yes, they can see a face, but somehow there's a blockage and it's not allowing them to extract the identity. So they just cannot recognise somebody at all. And at the other end, the very top end, which is the people I tend to do research with, are super recognisers who have an extraordinary ability to recognise faces and and can sometimes recognise someone they went to school with 40 years later, walking down the street and go, oh, you were, you know, you were in my class. And and there was one I know who sort of said, oh, you, I recognise the sister of one of my school friends about 35 years later, walking down the road and, and you know, went and said hello to her, who struggled, I think, to to make the connection. But yes, those are super recognisers.
0: One of the funny things about that is that obviously 30 years ago, we all looked different from how we look now. So it's not just recognising something you've seen before. It's recognising someone you've seen before plus 30 years, which can create quite a different look.
1: Oh, yeah, absolutely. And... and it's, it's, I think it's very hard to create an experiment that actually can speak to this and try and help us to understand what's going on. And perhaps the super recognizers who are doing this are picking up distinctive features that are, are consistent throughout the lifespan.
0: It's funny because there's someone I met during my PhD programme who... We, I was like, I know I've seen you before. Like, and we, we, we recognized each other. And it came down to we both come from the same city. We didn't go to the same school, but our schools were very near each other. And we also lived maybe a couple of miles away from each other at home. And we went through all mutual friends, all siblings, mutual friends. We tried really hard to find what the commonality was. And we just, we just never figured it out. We just, I think we maybe just saw each other at the bus stop, you know, maybe every day for several years. (laughs) (laughs)
1: Um. (laughs) That is quite a probable one because you might think that person's unfamiliar. But to you, if they are the person who catches the same train as you to school or the same bus as you to school, they are actually quite familiar, even if you never speak to them, just like um, a shopkeeper might be or someone in that sort of role.
0: Yes. Um, So tell me, when it comes to super recognisers, do we know if there is anything special about their brains? What do we know about them?
1: So we have done some EEG studies and there was a recent paper that pretty much replicated what we found. And we were comparing super recognizers who'd scored really high on a couple of tests and controls who were scoring in this sort of average range, the typical range on the same tests. And what we found is that we're using EEG after about 100 milliseconds The super recognisers seem to demonstrate a spike of activity that wasn't seen in the controls. This is quite interesting. This is very early in the processing of faces. In fact, we know from EEG studies that there's a a spike at about 170 milliseconds for us to recognise a face as a face. So if a stimulus of a face is shown on the screen, we see this 170 millisecond spike. This was somewhat earlier. This is where the brain is presumably moving from the sort of feature-based processing into the configuration, into the holistic processing. Perhaps there's a, a greater efficiency in super recognizers at that stage. We also found a second spike at 600 milliseconds. So what we know is there's normally a 250 millisecond spike when we recognize a face as someone familiar to us. But we found no differences between controls and super recognizers there. What we found was a, a spike at about 600 milliseconds. And that's where we seem to explicitly recognize a face. So we become aware that we recognize a face before. So it was those two spikes that seemed to differentiate controls and super recognizers. The follow up research was pretty much the same. Why that's happening is not something that we can answer as yet.
0: And to that end, then, do we know where they're getting that ability from? Is that something we're born with? What do you reckon?
1: So, a bit like the prosopagnosia, we think there's probably a, a genetic element to this. And We know that this is important in face recognition anyway. There have been twin studies where if you measure the face recognition ability of two identical twins versus non-identical twins, you tend to find the scores of the identical twins are much closer to one another than the non-identical twins. And in fact, it's one of the strongest effects in cognitive psychology that suggests there is a very strong genetic inheritance going on we, we've actually testing parents and their children at the moment and we do find there does tend to be a correlation between a parent's ability and their child's ability
0: and when it comes to recognizing a face you'd think well memory must be involved in sort of I remember seeing that face before but also matching the pattern of the face are either of those traits heritable to people with good memories tend to have children with good memories. I'm just wondering, where, do you see what I mean? Like, where could that be coming from in that respect?
1: Okay, so one of the interesting things about face recognition, it does seem to be a, a special skill because it doesn't seem to always relate to other skills that somebody might possess. So what I can say, though, is that there does seem to be a specific skill associated with matching objects, so pattern recognition skills. People are very good at fingerprints, tend to be good at matching other visual objects as well. And that can include faces. One of the things that we have found as well, that it doesn't seem to be a relationship with face recognition ability and other skills. So things like IQ, you know, very low relationship, even some, I think, with the sort of visual IQ tests that people can put forward. And we've done research looking at the recognition of different objects and the matching of objects. And we find that super recognizers tend to be a little bit better at other visual tests but when it comes to faces they're far far superior to controls so yes the may it may relate to other skills but generally it does seem to be specific to to faces and I, one of my phd students uh, ryan jenkins has been looking at voices and there does seem to be a, a stronger correlation with voices than we found with some objects so it might be related somehow to being good at people recognition yes. or something like that. I quite often get asked about gait and super recognizers will say, I, I've seen somebody walking away from me and I've recognised them from mm. that. So it might be that they're picking up cues around the whole of the body, the whole of the human, rather than just purely the face alone. We'll say, though, that was only a proportion of participants. Some of them didn't seem to have any voice advantage whatsoever hmm. so it may not be a, a shared skill. It's one of the things we found with super recognizers that most of them might fit into box A but then you'll get some super recognizers who are amazing just as good but they show a completely opposite pattern on a yeah. some sort of test. So it might be that they're good at face recognition but the way they're good might differ.
0: I guess that would make sense in that there are multiple phases You know, face recognition occurs in phases, and maybe some people are really good at phase two, and that means that they have this advantage (laughs) versus that one.
1: Yeah, it could well be that. And it could relate to, you know, other aspects of their cognitive system. You know, you mentioned memory. It may be that the people are really good at the face matching tasks. Some of them actually really not very good at memory tasks involving faces whatsoever. But that might be because their memory is not very good in general. You have to sort of test each person on an individual level, perhaps, to really understand what's going on. But we also had a a super recognizer who suffered from um, brain damage and he thought he became a prosopagnosic and his ability was tested by one of my colleagues and actually his scores were about average. Mm. So for him, the world of being a super recognizer, where you recognise everyone had gone and now he was just performing at a typical... Range of ability, but he thought that must be what prosopagnosia is wow. like. So, yes, yeah, so I'm not sure what that says, but I think it says something yeah. quite interesting.
0: Well, it's like a marathon runner having to live like the rest of us, you know. <laughs> yes. <laughs> <Realizing> <laughs> is-
1: well, well, yeah. I mean, I use the sort of uh, analogy about Usain Bolt. Obviously, he's naturally an incredibly good runner, and perhaps that's what super recognisers are. But perhaps they're also interested in faces, and so. There is some evidence that it's not just about the genetics. Hmm. It's where you grow up, the number of people you come into contact with makes you better as well. And if you're interested in faces over a lifetime, perhaps that makes you even more of a super recognizer.
0: And is this a global phenomenon? Have you tested people from around the world?
1: Yes, about 7 million people have taken oh my one of our tests. And yeah, I believe every country as well.
0: What sort of percentage of people who do the test find out that they are super recognisers? And are and are people surprised? Do people think, oh, I'm good at faces, and then they turn out to be good? Or are people often uh, not sure?
1: So generally, people who are good at faces seem to t- actually score higher than the average score. They might not score as high as they think they should score. This might be that they're overconfident in their own abilities about this, Um, but it might also be that no test is ever a perfect substitute to how we recognize faces in the real world. They're photographs, they're videos, they're constrained by time. And um, some of our tests that we use, you get a very short time to learn a face. And of course, some people might naturally need a lot longer and they might be able to remember that face then for 50 years. That's always a problem with a test. They're never a perfect measure of ability for every single person. But yes, so we we do have this global phenomenon and we find that generally people are better at recognising faces from their own ethnicity, mainly because those are the faces they come into contact with. We find effects of age as well, that people tend to be slightly better at recognising people of their own age or the age and ethnicity of the people they come most into contact with, I think.
0: Now, if you think that you're pretty good at faces and you're wondering if you might be a super recognizer, you can take a test online, which I did. And we'll talk more about that and my results later. But Josh's team will generally grant you the title of super recognizer if you score in the top 2% of the population.
1: But when we're finding super recognisers are, say, policing or security or other roles, it's normally less than 1% would be eligible.
0: Because Josh also has a company that uses the science of super recognition to place people in jobs where having that skill is really valuable. This could be policemen or people who work in security, as he mentioned. But you can also think of other professions where this would be helpful too, like border control or even high-level hospitality at a fancy hotel where you might need to recognise guests as they walk through the door. Even genealogists who need to make decisions about really old photographs might benefit. So is there a way that you can train to become better at this?
1: So in general, we don't think so. We do think that face recognition ability peaks at about 30 years. So if you're younger than 30, well, yes, your face recognition ability should improve but we don't think that training per se works. What you can do with with face recognition, it does seem to improve specific tasks. So for instance, passport officers need to be able to check the face, there's no memory involved. But if they're not sure, they're trained into perhaps looking at the ears or other features that you wouldn't necessarily normally focus on when you are doing some sort of face processing task. You You wouldn't think about it. And that seems to help them slightly in in distinguishing people
0: so that'll be why in your passport photo you have to have your hair tied up so you're that's correct <laughs> well it's not it's not a problem with
1: it's not a problem for me um although when the system says where are your eyebrows that's a bit of a problem
0: <laughs> so with all that said i was ready to find out if i am a super recognizer Okay, so I am ready to take the Super Recognizer test. You can just go online to the Super Recognizer website. It asks, want to take part? I actually feel a little bit nervous because I think I'm probably going to, I mean, not to uh, blow my own trumpet, but I do feel like I'm probably going to do quite well. Um, But then I also think probably a lot of people feel that way and then they take the test and they find out they are not so great, so let's see. The way Josh's team have designed it is you first take a shorter test to gauge your general ability, and then can go on to take more detailed tests if you want. So I settled in for the first test. On the first trial of this test, you will view a single face for a few seconds. Your task is to memorize this face and then to identify a different photograph of that face when presented in an array of faces. Okay, that one was pretty easy. It's this guy. He's got short hair, got a nose. I can see a mole. There he is. All right, so far so good, guys. I think I've got I've got two correctly so far. Now this guy. Oh, no, I feel like I wasn't paying proper attention. I was too busy being pleased with my previous ones. But I think he's this one. Oh, that's tough. Oh, God, I really don't know. Oh, I really don't know about this one. I've basically forgotten what he looks like, and it's been like five seconds. Okay, I'm going to go with that one. Not convinced though. After looking at a lot of faces one after the other you kind of all the faces start to look kind of the same. Oh bloody hell. I think it's this one. Big ears. All right, last one. Ooh, IK, okay. I scored 10 out of 14. It says if you scored above 10, you may be a super recognizer. I'm quite pleased with 10 to be fair. but on its own, this test is not enough. All right, I'm gonna do it. I'm gonna do the next ones. I then made my way through the next three tests. These are the more proper tests that scientists use, so they have names like the Cambridge or Glasgow Face Matching Test, and they take a bit of time to complete. Before you start this study, please rate how good you think your face recognition ability is. Hmm, well, I think it's pretty good. Compared to most people I know, I believe my face recognition ability is… Honestly, I reckon I'm probably like 70 out of 100. Maybe that's arrogant of me. Let's find out. And turned out, it was. You will be shown a series of faces and your task is to memorise as many of these faces as you can. Your memory of these faces will then be tested. Him. This one looks a bit like a monk. Ooh, that's toughy. I think it's him. Some of them are easier than others. Gosh, actually, don't know. That's really hard. I feel like... I'm just guessing at this one. Getting really way too hard. I'm on number 43 now. It's funny how some of them you just sort of instantly know and others you don't. This guy I find very recognisable. Whenever I see him, I know it's him. Oh, and this one's the exact opposite. I've no idea. I'm just going off instinct now. Recognise you, though. This guy makes me realise I got him wrong last time because this is definitely him when he was younger. does make you feel a bit crazy. Honestly, I'm just looking at them and pretending I'm meeting them at a party because you're not going to be able to remember this many... Consciously. This one looks a lot like my friend's boyfriend. Oh man, I think I've done terribly at this one. I really just can't tell you. I've definitely seen you before though. All right, last question. And after what was honestly a pretty tiring hour, it was time for my results. Properly nervous hitting this button. Now that you finish this study, please rate how good you think your face recognition ability is. So I thought I started at a 70. I'm now going to say I think I'm like a 50. Like, I don't think I've done horrible, I don't think I've done worse than average. I reckon I'm probably just normal. Dun, dun, dun. Ooh. All right, here we go. So this says the mean score of the Cambridge face memory test is 83, and I got 86. All right, so I got a bit better than average. Glasgow face matching test general public averages mean is 32.5 and I got 33 so as good as anyone else really and short-term memory average of the public is 45 and I got 45 so I'm bloody average slap bang normal so there you go I've officially been taken down several pegs and I'm definitely not a super recognizer but at least I am decidedly average. If you want to take the tests yourself you can head to www.superrecognizers.com Josh recommends that you take the tests when you're not feeling tired or distracted or under pressure so you might want to bear that in mind before you start. Thanks so much to Josh Davis for speaking to me for this episode. Join us in two weeks' time where we'll be exploring the neuroscience of ageing. I'm Eva Higginbotham and this is How We're Wired. How We're Wired is a Fresh Air production for the Bertarelli Foundation. It's produced by me, Eva Higginbotham. Follow now for free so you never miss an episode.